The richer you get, the harder it is to manage your estate. There's lots of moving parts like portfolio diversity, tax mitigation, asset protection, and estate planning. That's why the ultra wealthy use family offices, and that's where Valerity Wealth comes in for you. Run by a former sovereign wealth fund manager, Valerity Wealth brings institutional level expertise to the high paid professional. Let Valerity quarterback your finances. Book your free consultation at ValerityWealth.com. Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com, accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. And today I've got a very special guest. So I practice what I preach. I do financial education things. So I, whenever there's seminars and things I want to learn about, I sign up. I, um, you know, I tune in or whatever it takes to start to understand more about what I want to learn. And then one of the nice little uh, perks of that is you get to meet some interesting people along the way. And so one of the recent uh, trips I took, I, I met a very interesting guy uh, who happens to be a fellow physician. His name is Eric Tate, Dr. Eric Tate, and he is an investment fund manager uh, and founder of the Vernonville Asset Management uh, LLC, which is a private investment firm that focuses on alternative assets classes with a focus on real estate development and investment. So welcome, Eric. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Hey, hey. well, thank you for uh, having me. I, I really appreciate it. That's great. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to have you because, you know, it, it sounds funny, but it's a little lonely being uh, sort of one of the only physicians out there who seems to think that there's something outside of medicine. But you know, why don't we start by giving me a little bit of a background on how you got started? I mean, obviously you went to medical school and I'm guessing you weren't intending to go into business. So wh- where did this all come from? Well, well, interestingly enough, um, I actually did a dual degree MD, MBA. So actually I did intend to do it, but I, I wanted to be a physician from a very early age. Uh, my great grandfather was a physician, my, his son, uh, my granduncle, my uncle. So medicine was kind of, as they say, in the blood, but I also was very entrepreneurial growing up. Um, I always ran small businesses, you know, junior high school, high school, co- college even. Uh, and so, you know, I, I never wanted to be pigeonholed just at kind of an either or kind of box. And so I knew that my med- the medical school I was looking at was going to be setting up the dual degree program when I was a junior in college. Uh, and so I figured that I probably would have to take the, uh, the GMAT because I assumed in an early program that the MCAT would stand, and so that ended up being the case. And so I actually chose the medical school I went to because they were setting up that dual degree program. What did you think your career was going to look like back then? Did you did you already know 
Uh, well, let's back up for a second. Now, tell me, tell me about your activity in medicine. Are you still practicing medicine at all? I am. Um, I am. I'm, I'm a practicing internist. Um, I, uh, I work roughly about 28 hours a week right now, and actually that's about to change. It's interesting. You caught me right in the middle of a transition. So uh, I am actually going out on my own. I've been an employed physician for the first 10 years. Uh, but I, I did some specific investments with insurance plans uh, that are going to allow me to cut back on um, the n- amount of days that I practice and kind of shrink my practice without going kind of the concierge or MDVIP model. So um, I always wanted to practice. I like practicing medicine. I like the sense of helping people. That's great. So so when you started out on this pathway, did you have an idea in your head? I mean, what you, what did you think it was going to look like to do the, uh, you know, to be a physician ultimately? Was it did you think all along that you would be practicing sort of 50% of the time or what what were you thinking when you when you first started i and all honestly i didn't have an, a a clear idea um what i what i what i figured out very early um was the first couple of years, the first year and a half of medical school, um, I focused purely on medicine. wasn't thinking about uh, anything else beyond that. I was reading some books that were introducing me to some business concepts. And so um, the first two years, I did strictly basic sciences, then you know six months of clinicals, and then I went to business school. And then in business school, I, I, I learned a new language. I learned the language of money. I learned the language of investing. And so it was really during business school that I started to try to figure out, okay, as they say, medicine is a jealous mistress. And so that means that that's going to take a lot of time and my energy. How is it that I can invest my own capital um, that will not require me to spend all of my time doing it, all of my time you know, being an operator of, of a specific business? So I didn't have an overarching plan going into medical school like, oh, well, I don't know how I'm going to marry these two. Uh, I just kept putting one foot in front of the other and just asking very detailed questions of myself of how do I want my life to look? What do I want this to look like? How do I want my life to be in 10 years? And then that ordered my steps into what types of investments and what types of medical practice I was going to choose. I initially thought I wanted to be a surgeon, but realized that, you know, having a pager, be, being being tied to a pager all the time probably wasn't conducive to my, the lifestyle that I wanted. So I said, well, where can I get the most breadth and depth of medicine? And so to me, that was internal medicine. And so that kind of took me down that pathway of continuity of care and kind of being able to see kind of the broader spectrum uh, of, of healthcare being a primary care physician. Um, so that's kind of, you know, it, it, it wasn't a overarching plan, um, but it was definitely, my steps were definitely ordered to create a certain outcome. Was there an aha moment when you decided that, okay, well, listen, obviously you had a business interest from a young age, you even got an MBA, but that, I mean, did you start from the beginning right away in business or did you initially start out practicing after training as a physician and sort of, um, did you have an aha moment that caused you to pivot? Um, Yes, but not so much in medicine per se, but in investing, absolutely. Um, And so, you know, I had some, you know, I had some mutual funds when I was in medical school just because we had to make this kind of scholarship money. So, I, you know, I, I, I take that money, put it in mutual funds. But my aha moment was uh, summer of 2000. It's my first two months in business school. Um, I, I went to Rice University for business school here in Houston, Texas. Um, and people might remember back in, at that time, the number one company in the world um, kind of had this crooked E as its uh, logo, uh, Enron. 
Enron was a big recruiter at my business school. Lots of folks went there. Um, and at the time, that was a summer where its stock price hit its all-time high. Now, we did Enron's books in my, my the first accounting class I ever took. We actually went through Enron's books and looked at what their income, what their, what their profit from actual operations was, and they had not made a profit for the previous three years. So, 97, 98, 99, there were no profits from operations, but yet their stock price was soaring. It was at that moment I essentially sold every stock and bond that I owned because I, at that point, realized that, from a fundamental standpoint of an operating business, the sh- the share price has no real correlation to that. And I didn't want my own capital at that kind of risk. Uh, and so my aha moment pivoted me from ever wanting to be in those public markets in that way, uh, especially in a passive way through 401ks, IRAs, and those types of things, to saying that I had to directly own whatever it is I was going to invest in. And from that point on, I just went to try to figure out what things I could directly own uh, that also fit the lifestyle that I wanted to achieve for myself. So how did that start? So you obviously you finished your training, mm-hmm. and like most of us uh, physicians, when you finish your training, you didn't have, you know, you didn't have a bunch of money to invest. So you must have been working full time as a physician initially, right? Or did you? Well, uh, I, so interestingly enough, the number of hours I work is the number of hours I've always worked. I've always pretty much taken Wednesday off, even when I was first starting out. I, you know, it, 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 my mentors did that, and it, it was a good, it was a good schedule. So I. I never, never really changed from that. Um, and so what I did was I went out there and looked at different investment opportunities. But with those opportunities, this was in, I finished in residency in 06. So there was still very easy money. So as a new physician, I could sign for signature loans, you know, uncollateralized lines of credit. Um, and I used those to to invest in things. And so I invested in Sleep Lab. I invested in, you know, the largest doctor partner hospital in the country here at St. Joseph Medical Center in Houston. Uh, I invested in an insurance company and, you know, you know, started, you know, started an MA plan pod uh, on our campus. Uh, And so I went out there and you at the time, because I didn't, I mean, we had medical school debt, but that was what it was. Um, I went out there and used kind of other people's money um, because I understood what my earning capacity was. I knew how much I made. I, I, we always lived below our means. Um, and I knew that I had two, three, four grand per month in my budget that I could use for borrowing capacity to leverage myself into different investment opportunities. At some point, you went from being an investor to someone who uh, is a conduit. I think you've used that word before for others. Um, to get into good investments. So tell me about that journey. Interesting. It was, it was purely by happenstance. I mean, we started our company purely as our own kind of in-house, um, kind of private office, my wife and I doing our own investing. Um, when I had some other physician colleagues who were looking at what we were doing and saying, hey, you know, how can we participate? We, we like we like kind of what you're doing and how do we, how do we go about that? And I never thought about it. Uh, you know, business school doesn't really teach you how to how to to go out there and set up, you know, a firm that is a fiduciary to individual kind of investors on the private side of things. I mean, they'll teach you how to become a you know middle to upper middle manager in a large Fortune 500 company. Um, and it, my business school was actually pretty good from an entrepreneurial standpoint, from the standpoint of okay, you know, you're going to go out there and do some operating business, but 
there's really a dearth of education that teaches you how to evaluate businesses that you may or may not run, but then also be a good steward of other people's money in that process. And so I had to, you know, I just called around and called some securities attorneys and asked them, like, listen, you know, how do I, these people want to invest with us, what's the, you know, what's the risk? And they said, well, you just have to disclose everything and, you know, these are the, these are the SEC regulations in this, so you'll go through an exemption, and as long as you disclose everything and, you know, you have a profitable business model in terms of what you can do, then it's, it's easy. Basically, the attorney opened my eyes to the fact that many of the things that we see around us are private partnerships. And so it's really not that, you know, mystical. It's just a matter of putting the right paperwork together um, more than anything else. So what I tell people is if you know how to do something that's profitable, you too can be a fund manager, asset manager, whatever you want to call yourself, because you know how to make other people money, which is more than I can say for many people who are sitting on Wall Street. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned, and I know a lot of people went to business school, and I myself, obviously, you know, I'm a physician only. I, I don't have an MBA, but the people I do know who have an MBAs, they're not trained to be entrepreneurial, okay? They're, they're trained to be good managers and to understand business and finance, but, you know, being an entrepreneur is, it may be something that it's almost impossible to learn without just going out there and trying it. You have to, you know, as I discussed in one of my previous podcasts, it's like, you know, it's old-fashioned learning. You have to get up and try to walk a couple times. You fall and you get up and you try, you know, you try to walk and you fall and you learn by trial and error. And, you know, Eric, one of the one ways I like to describe this is, I don't know about you, but I was good at taking standardized tests. And one of the things I used to do is take as many questions as I could. And, uh, like, for example, with the... Uh, national board examination or USMLE or whatever, I would just try to find sources of questions because that's how you find out where you're going to trip up is you take some questions. In the real world, that equates to taking some chances. And when you uh, fail or you have some problems along the way, you won't make them again. And um, it sounds like you had to do a little bit of that along the way. Oh, absolutely. You nailed it because that's exactly, I'm a good standardized sex taker and I do the same exact thing. And I tell everybody who comes to me, this is not rocket science. Find all the questions you can do and do them. You will score well. This is not difficult to do. Don't read the material. Just do the questions. It'll tell you what you need to do. Um, but, I, I, but, I, but what I also attribute my success to is having no ego and understanding that, especially when you're taking other people's money, I mean, you'll gamble your own money sometime. I mean, you know, human nature is you're just kind of, uh, you know what, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, put it on black, kind of jokingly. But when you have other people's money, the diligence and the the the, the heightened level of just worry. It's just like medicine. You cannot have an ego in medicine, and you cannot have an ego when you're dealing with other people's money. And so I attribute mo most of my success to mentors, because I had a mentor once explain to me that talking to people who fail to do something only teaches you how you can't do something. But just because somebody failed at something doesn't mean that they know how to actually do it. Talking to people who've actually done it means you don't necessarily have to fail because they know how it's done. So I just shortcut my life in many, many ways. If I want to go do something, I go find the people who've done it before and I sit at their knee. And just like you say, you go out to seminars. I'm a seminar junkie as well. I, am, I, I pay for mentorship. I will pay for, I will pay for the ability to learn a new skill set that will shortcut me having to make some of the mistakes. Now, we're always going to make mistakes in projects. It doesn't matter. You have the best mentor no matter what it is. Every project is different. But many of 
the trip falls and the hazards, you already knew going in, so you're missing the big ones, and these are ones that other people may not have, have seen before. So I'm big, big on mentorship, big, big on investing alongside and investing with people who've done it before so I can learn it so that I can then go and do it myself if I choose to or say, no, nah, I'm good, I'll just do it with the expert and let the expert do it. Right, and you know when you talk about mentorship, you know I've actually spoken about that in previous podcasts as well. I'm I'm also really big into the idea of mentorship, and some people paid mentorship is usually the way it works these days. And you know that person might be called a consultant, and people get worried uh, about consultants a lot of times, and there's good reason to. The first three letters spell con, right? But you know if you find a good consultant and you have good reason to believe that person is a consultant you should never see it as an expense you should see it as an investment because you know i've started uh oh gosh i don't even know i mean if you look at entities i have about 15 entities right now right so i have multiple different business in different industries and in each case um except for I've either done it in two ways. Either I've completely lost a ton of money at the front end and navigated my way through, or I've paid a mentor or consultant that I trusted and had reason to believe knew what they were doing, and I was able to, as you call it, shortcut. And what you essentially are doing there is you're paying for access to somebody else's mistakes. So if you call it the school of hard knocks, Basically, what you're doing is you're paying a little extra tuition so that someone else can take the knocks for you and learn and tell you not to turn a certain way because if you go that way, you're going to get hurt. So I I am a huge proponent of that, and I think that's something for our audience. Anyone who's considering, particularly high-paid professionals, listen, you know, if you don't have a couple thousand dollars sitting around, this is not for you, but... You know, if you're a high-paid professional and if you've, you've got a little bit of money stacked away, paying ten, fifteen thousand dollars for something that could make you, you know, a million dollars a year later, it's not a bad deal and it's not an expense. It's an investment. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you set your if you set a business up, you can it's a right it's a tax write-off. So you know, you're really not paying for it in all honesty. Uh, and but it is an investment. It, it, it's it's a shift in paradigm to understand that. You're investing in yourself in many ways. That's you know I'm a, I'm a firm 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 believer in it. Um, and you know and it it it, it harkens back to that two different kinds of, of of especially physicians but also high net worth people who invest with us. One is the do it yourself and I, I want to buy out there and you know I'm going to invest with you so I can learn the ropes and then I'm, I might want to do it myself. Then the other people are just completely passive. They they're like you know what nope I'm good. Give us a nice little update like you do every couple of weeks, and you know I don't need to get into the weeds with all of that. The interesting thing is the do-it-yourselfers over time migrate to the, no, nah, I don't really want to do it. I thought I did because I wanted control, but it's really not the control that, that they're after. They're actually after their time, and they feel like the only way that they can tr- control their time is that they control their their actions to try to get back their time. I had a, I had a, a, a gentleman I had a, a needs analysis session with just this past week, and getting him to understand that what he ultimately wanted was not necessarily what he said what he thought he wanted and he thought the only way he could do it was through his labor to make that happen um, and so untangling that with people uh, is is very much an eye-opener because many many of us think we want one thing when we really want something else was that a physician he was not a physician actually mm-hmm. but I talked to a radiologist last week who was having this issue right. 
So, <laughs> same exact issue. Well, let's let's focus for a second on the whole idea of physicians. I look around me and I see a lot of very very hardworking physicians out there. And every year they're making less money. And um, whereas when you hear about it in the press, you hear about, well, gosh, you know, the, these doctors are the reason for healthcare costs going crazy. And we ought to cut down their, their reimbursement because they're, they're making too much money. What do, you, what, do you, what do you say to those people? Well, define, you know, ultimately, you know, define too much versus not a little. I mean, ultimately, the market determines prices in some ways now. You know, medicine is not quite a, you know, it's not a perfect market just for numerous reasons, just licensure issues, prescription writing ability. There's some protection of the guild that goes on with that. But in the end, if you look at physician income as a percentage of the total healthcare spending pie, it's 9%. So that, that's really not kind of the big issue um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the public. But the real, the, the real thing I think that physicians don't understand um, is that the burnout feel, the feel of running on the treadmill, the feel of being out of control is a simple fact of the matter of this, that nothing happens in the system without us, but we can control nothing in the system. And once you understand that, you can rail against it, you can fight against it, you can wish it were different. But it's just a simple fact of life. You know, it's uh, something that's interesting along that lines here, because I was looking at um, some reimbursement uh, things recently and I was just looking at some statistics and some of the things that are in my field in headache surgery um, over time what's happening is that reimbursement for the hospitals where these procedures are done is going up and then the reimbursement for physicians is going down so in fact if you look at Medicare payments right now for uh, total thyroidectomy uh, which is uh, this is a very difficult operation. It's removing a thyroid gland, and there's some very important nerves there. There's some important arteries, et cetera. I've done these. Uh, um, it takes a couple hours, and you have tremendous liability, and it reimburses the physician about $1,000. Now, that may sound like a lot, okay, but the reality is it's a tremendous amount of training uh, expertise and taking on a tremendous amount of liability in a litigious society to do that procedure. I'm not saying that um, you know physicians should be uh, treated as gods, but there needs to be potentially a little bit more respect for that. What I'm seeing on my end is that every year physicians are being the sacrificial lambs for the whole medical system, and there's plenty of people who are profiting. The CEOs are making millions of dollars, but pediatricians who get calls in the middle of the night and who are taking care of our children, rather than, you know, these are very smart people who could probably go and work for Goldman Sachs, but they're taking care of our children instead. They're making, they're, they're struggling and barely making $100,000 a year. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, it's a battle that I have opted out of because it's an unwinnable, it's an unwinnable battle in my estimation. Because of that, what I have focused my time, energy, and talents on is allowing physicians to make it up through their investment portfolio and to understand that they can turn their investment portfolio into income streams if they only knew how and if they were willing to look at that as an option. Because in the end, at the end of the day, the federal government wants all of us to be employed, wants all of us to be in a single, in a, in a single payer of some kind, whether it's administered by private insurance plans or by or a Medicare for all non-fee-for-service system. 
that's what MACRA is all about. That's what, that is what the government wants. And this has been an unending line since Richard Nixon. And so you can, you can die on the hill of trying to battle and make it not, make you wanting to, it not to be that way, or you take this 50,000 foot view and understand that this is a fait accompli. Doesn't matter who the administration is, doesn't, it is an inexorable march in a certain direction. And I, I just wasn't willing to spend the time, energy to try to fight something that I think is, is ultimately going to happen. And so I'd rather spend my time and talent helping people get out of that. Because if you get independence from that system, you are not reliant on that system. Right. And, you know, one of the things that is, um, I think, true of a lot of us who went into medicine and who went into surgery is we actually really like what we're doing. And what you're talking about is kind of one of the one of the, the cornerstones is what, of what wealth formula is all about. And what it is all about is trying to create, as you discussed, multiple streams of income and trying to create sort of a self-reliance. And so that if you want to work, like most of the physicians I know want to be physicians, then you work. But you're not working for money, all right? Now you're working, you're making money, but you don't have to do it. But you get to do what you love without worrying whether, you know, Medicare is going to come out and slash, you know, the the main thing that you do for a living by 50%, and all of a sudden, where are you going to pay for your mortgage? I've seen that happen, by the way, 50 75%. Yep, code spike. It's an absolute code spike. They look at the codes, they see where the spike is, where people are piling in, and they cut it the next year. It's it's an absolute code. It's, It's what they do. So what we're really talking about here is not so much about physicians, if you're a physician out there, how you can make more money, but how you can practice feeling comfortable that yep. you're you know that your livelihood isn't going to betray you and the next thing you know you lose your house. So let's talk a little bit about that Eric because one of the you know one of the options that people have out there is to go out and you know invest for themselves and you know I advocate for that. I do think that you know more physicians who are smart people obviously you're going to didn't get into medical school because without being a little bright um, law school or you know business school whatever you, you 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 know you can think for yourself you can go out and educate yourself and try to invest on your own the other option is you know obviously entrepreneurship in general which you know start a business buy investment property every time you own an apartment building you're a business owner in effect or if you absolutely don't have time you got to look potentially to guys like Dr. Tate here, who is out there as your advocate, um, who can look around and who has the time now and the expertise to potentially help you put your money to work rather than, you know, giving your money to somebody who took a three-month course in, you know, being a wealth advisor and give it to somebody who actually put it in something tangible. So, Eric, on that note, can you tell us a little bit about Vernonville Capital? What's the website there, by the way? So it's it's Vernonville Asset Management. So it's V is in Victor, E is in Eric, R is in Robert, N is in Nancy, O is in Octagon, N is in Nancy, B is in Victor, I is in Indigo, L is in Larry, L is in Larry, E is in Eric. dot com. So it's Vernonville. dot com, and you know ultimately. Like everything you just said, um, we believe in direct investment. So we, we have 
we have partners and we directly own things. That's what we do. Um, we don't really play on the, we don't play on the public market. So stocks, bonds, mutual funds, those types of things. There are more than enough experts out there for that portion of someone's portfolio. Um, we are, we are direct investors. I like to say that we're somewhat asset class agnostic and geographically agnostic. What we like to, to, to focus on is areas of scarcity, meaning increasing demand and decreasing or constrained supply. That can be anywhere from apartments, single-family homes, hotels, agricultural land, you name it, we will look at it. Um, because ultimately what we're trying to do is pick great markets and pick great teams that are operating in those markets, and then we can bring capital to bear um, while, while owning something tangible oftentimes. And that's what we're focused on right now. Um, in the future, we'll, you know, I've got some friends who are doing some quantitative writing quant code to do kind of managed stock things. You know, it doesn't mean we won't look at those things as well. But for now, in the current economic environment that we're in with the Fed printing lots and lots of dollars, with every central bank around the world printing lots and lots of dollars, or yen, or yuan, or whatever the currency may have, the flavor of currency, um, I think owning real things that people will pay you for their usage is the prudent thing to do in the current economic environment. Uh, and just a little bit to say about about physicians specifically, and kind of how when I'm when I'm coaching and sitting with people and doing needs analysis, I actually do make a break point for people. Um, usually, I tell people that are you know folks that are primary care doctors, and if they're not slogging away 70, 80 hours a week, a lot of times those you know those of us have some time because the the highest and best use of our time from an economic standpoint. I'm taking purely the medicine out of it. I'm talking about purely from an economic standpoint. The highest and best use of, of the time from an economic standpoint may not necessarily be seeing that next patient. But for specialists who still have margin in what they do, most of the time, even with many of these, these in, things that they could invest in, the best use of their time is not going out and trying to invest themselves. The best use of their time is actually practicing medicine from a purely economic standpoint. I'm not talking about medicine at all. And so understanding that, because in the future that may not be the case, that, that line might cross. But for right now, in a current fee-for-service environment, if you're a highly paid subspecialist, going out and trying to figure out the next Jamba Juice or the next, uh, you know, the next franchises might not be the highest and best use of, of your time. Because you know, you're going to give something up. You're either going to give medicine up, you're going to give your family up, you're going to give your hobbies up. Something has to give in that, in that scenario. Um, and so really getting in touch with who you are as an investor, what it is you're really trying to accomplish, and what it is you're willing to sacrifice to accomplish that goal, if anything, is really, really important. That's really good stuff, actually, because I think, you know, that is certainly something that a lot of physicians, um, you know, are thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in trying to get my hands around something else other than medicine. I see, you know, some of these uh, reimbursements going down and, you know, I may have some other interests, but well, what do I do? And you're right, you're right. To a certain extent, there are people out there, there are specialties out there that are still making, uh, making really good money and enjoying what they do. So why leave that? Right. So, so yeah, so the, so you are, you know, you're, you're the type of person who, you know, could potentially help somebody with that. Can you tell me a little bit about, um, when you talk about your firm's investment philosophy, do you have certain 
criteria in terms of return on investments or IRR, cash on cash, etc. Tell me what you guys think about when you're investing for clients, or maybe it's different every time, but do you have some kind of overall philosophy? Well, for now, philosophically, it's about what we're owning more than specific returns because the marketplace is, you know, the marketplace is going to in some ways dictate what your returns are. I mean, if you want a triple net lease, uh, you know, Wells Fargo Bank, you're going to get 3%. That's what the market's going to give you. There's no way of, around that specific thing. And so what we try not to do is is pigeonhole ourselves to say, well, this is this is all we ever do. And because in the end, we sit with each individual investor, potential investor, and figure out what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I just sat with a guy uh, last week, and he's looking for immediate cash flow. Um, he's got a group of other investors, and you know he didn't really get into yield return. He's like, I want, you know, I want a commercial project, commercial real estate project that's going to give us immediate cash flow, um, and that's what he wants. And so, if I had a box that I only put people in, I would have probably dismissed him if that's not what we were necessarily doing. But what I did was say, well, we don't have anything like that right now. But I thought through my Rolodex because. I'm in contact with a lot of people who are doing a lot of different things. And so the next step I take is say, okay, well, let me give you a warm introduction to my friend here who I trust because he's doing that exact thing. And so in the end, I, I look at myself more as trying to be a trusted advisor. Um, and then there's some products we have that people can fit into. And there are some projects that based upon what someone is trying to accomplish for their own portfolio, we don't have anything for that at the time. And we will then gladly send them on. And so you know, because pe- because there are a lot of de- degrees in terms of investing what people want. Some people want diversification. Some people want foreign asset exposure. And they're like, well, I'd rather just park my money. I don't need a return. I'm going to use that as a bank account. And so we try not to presuppose and cut anyone out. We really just try to focus individually on what someone is trying to accomplish and then give them our experience in that arena and then try to set them down a pathway, whether that's with us or with someone else, a pathway of what they should be looking for or thinking about on that specific journey. So one last uh, question for you. Give give us give our listeners an example of you know a deal that you're currently working on just to give us some sense of what's going on because I know in your case, you know, your investors are people like our listeners. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're people with MBAs, they're high earning, you know, W-2A journeys. So tell, tell us, give us an example of something available through you. Ooh, available right now. Um, okay. Let's see. So we're working on a Hilton Hotel project. Um, that one is available right now. We're, we're going to be raising about $2.4 on that project. We, we're, already, we're already in. We already probably have about, let me add up, a little over a million and a half already invested in the first phase of that. Um, so that one is on the on the horizon right now, and we're open. Um, we're also going to be looking at some agricultural um, investments as well. Uh, that I have to put that PPM together, so I'm still working on the story of that. Uh, been to the been to the site twice. Got a lot of got a couple hours of video of the team, and I need to kind of cut that up and make that uh, into a, kind of an investable story uh, behind it. But those are the two things that are on the horizon. I would say over the next three months that we're going to be focusing heavily, heavily on um, right now. Sounds great. Do you have anything to say, uh, you know, in, in just sort of as a words of wisdom from a guy who's uh, 
you know, who's uh, got his one foot in medicine and one foot in uh, the business world that you can leave us with? Um, the, the, the best thing I, can, I tell everyone is this. You have to get very clear on your own personal investment philosophy. I have a mentor of mine, that's his, that's his favorite line, and I steal it. I, 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 I will always give attribution, but you have to be clear. It's your money. You have to be clear on what you want. It's not about anyone else. It's not about what anybody else is trying to sell you. It's not about what anybody else is trying to put you in. You have to get crystal clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish and be very truthful with yourself as to whether or not where you're putting your money. Because if you've got it in savings, you're betting on the U.S. dollar. If you've got it in gold, you're betting on gold. If you've got it in 401ks, you're betting on the, the public market. So you are allocating your excess income somewhere at all times. Is where you're allocating it right now getting you to where you want to be? And ask yourself that very, very hard question. Because if it isn't, why not? I think that's uh, that's really important to understand, and you know, the, and I think that Eric is making a, a very important point here because I think the vast majority of people out there are still putting their month, monthly checks, part of it, into a four hundred one k that are invested in mutual funds, ultimately in the stock market. And right now, the stock market is at all time highs, and corporate profits are not nearly there. Or earnings. Or they, earnings. They've done right. all of the financial chicanery that they can. Top line growth is down and earnings it are decreasing. I heard today, when I was listening to Robert Kiyosaki's podcast, um, the Harry S. Dent is on there, a well-known economist, and was saying that if somebody started investing in the stock market today, given the, uh, given how inflated it is and how you know, the earnings, uh, how low the earnings are, that they can expect probably a negative return over the next eight years. So this is serious stuff, folks. Uh, and don't think just because you've set your, you know, little structure in place and you put your certain amount of money in place that you're doing the right thing. There are other ways out there, and Eric, um, Dr. Tate here can potentially help you. There's others out there as well that we'll talk to as well, but um, certainly uh, certainly consider what you're doing right now. Ask yourself the question, am I doing the right thing with my money? Am I thinking about my money? If the answer is no, you really need to wake up because it's not like the old days where you just put your money in the stock market for 20, 30 years and just naturally expect it to grow. It's just not going to happen. Uh, this is a, we live in a different era right now, and I think it's time for everybody to understand that. And the safest thing in my view, and again, who am I? I'm a physician, but I do know a thing or two about money, is to own tangible things. Because if you own something tangible rather than a piece of paper, uh, at least you know it's worth something. So Anyway, um, Dr. Tate, it was really great having you on the show. I appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of it. And again, it is uh, vernonville.com, correct? That is correct. Vernonville.com. So contact Dr. Tate. Um, 877-668-3311. Again, 877-668-3311. And my direct email is eric at vernonville.com. 
V-E-R-N-O-N-V-I-L-L-E. Perfect. Thanks again for uh, joining us today on the Wealth Formula Podcast, Dr. Tate, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com.